The message you're about to listen to is a recording from God's favorite house. It is our prayer that you listen, your life will be transformed, and you will be taken to greater heights in your walk with Jesus. Amen. God bless you as you listen to this message. Has not even begun to enter into the heart of man. Amen. And let your name be glorified. 
All right, glory we give out to you, Lord. All right, glory we give out to you, Jesus. In Jesus' mighty name, we are praying. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Praise the name of the Lord. Last week, thank you, we um, began a new series, Go Forward. And um, last week, someone was fantastic, wasn't it? Totally fantastic. Um, and we looked at the lives of um, a few of God's children and how they went forward. We looked at the life of Esther, of Ruth, of Anna, of Samuel, of Isaac. We looked at the life of David, of how God moved them forward. And today, we are continuing in part two, and we'll be looking at the nation of Israel and a particular time in history of, um, in, in the history of the nation of Israel. We'll be reading from the book of Ezra, chapter three. But before we, we get to the text, I, I want to give us a background to the text. You know, after David passed on, Solomon became king of Israel. And Solomon did a lot of, you know, not so good things, you know, and God still kept his word and was faithful to Solomon. But after Solomon, the kingdom of Israel broke up into two um, kingdoms. So we had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had 10 tribes, and the southern kingdom had two tribes. The tribe of Benjamin and the tribe of Judah made up the southern kingdom. And it is in the southern kingdom that Jerusalem was. And Jerusalem had the temple of the Most High. Um, the temple of Solomon was in Jerusalem. Now, there was a point in history where the Assyrians had taking over the northern kingdom because they were given into idolatry, idol worship. And Micah and Isaiah they were contemporary prophets. They were warning the southern kingdoms not to go the same way as the northern kingdom. But as things went, over time, the southern kingdom's kingdom also began to embrace idol worship. They had all sorts of evil things going on. They had temple prostitutes. They, had, they were worshipping Molech. They were sacrificing their sons. They were doing all sorts of evil things. And because they were deviated from Jehovah, they, as a nation, were growing weaker and weaker. To the point where the nation of Israel, the southern um, kingdom was paying tribute to Babylon, to King Nebuchadnezzar. So they were paying tribute to King Nebuchadnezzar. Are you still following this story? Good. So they were paying tribute to the King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, they were the younger set of prophets at, at the time came on the scene. You had, you had uh, Jeremiah, you, have, you had Agai, you had Daniel, you had you know, the younger guys were, were on the scene as I and Micah had passed and, and Jeremiah said to the king then, Joachim, and Jeremiah said to Joachim, Joachim, you are not right with God. And Joachim 
didn't want to listen to Jeremiah. And Joachim woke up one day and said, in fact, this is God's nation. We are not going to be under tribute to Nebuchadnezzar. And Joachim said, we will cut off the tribute you are paying to Nebuchadnezzar. And Jeremiah went to Joachim and said, don't do it. This is so stupid. You are not right with God. God has not sent you to do this. You better be paying your tribute. JJ, I'm believing in peace. If you do this, you... of course, kings will be kings. Everyone say kings will be kings. <laughs> kings don't like being told what to do. So, Joachim said, Jeremiah, I'm not going to listen to you. In fact, Joachim had other prophets that were prophesying good to him. You know, there are prophets that are saying, oh, it is well with you. You can continue in sin. Anything you do, you are just too blessed to be stressed. Don't mind this Jeremiah. He's always saying you should live holy. He's always trying to bring bad news. You know, da 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 So Joachim did as he intended and cut off this tribute he was paying to Babylon. And of course, what Jeremiah said happened. Nebuchadnezzar moved in, captured Joachim, and took a lot of their bright young people exile. So that's why you had Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego, all those guys were taken to, uh, as exiles to Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar had this, I mean, well, habit, if you will. You know, some people, their habit is stamp collection. I mean, I, I used to, when we were growing up, people used to collect stamps. Do they still do it? Emails I'm taking over stamps. <laughs> some people collect stamps. Some people collect belt buckles. Do you know that? Some people collect coins. Some people collect cars. Nebuchadnezzar collects kings. That's his collection. That's his pastime. He collects kings. So when he takes over a place, he takes the kings, he removes their eyes, he puts them in golden chains. So when he's having a party, he parades all his kings, you know, and you know, that's his own trophy. So Joachim now became one of the paraded kings. At this time, Nebuchadnezzar installed Zedekiah as king over the southern kingdom. Of course, because he wanted his tribute to be going passe passe, as they say. For a while, Zedekiah was paying tribute. Stay with me. Zedekiah was paying tribute. But after a while, Zedekiah was pumped by the false prophets that were telling him, you are a child of God. You can continue worshiping idols and cut off the line from um, Nebuchadnezzar. And Zedekiah said he was going to cut off the line. And Jeremiah came and said to Zedekiah, don't be so dumb. See what happened to Joachim. If you do this, listen, God is not going to be there with you. You are going to, and he, and on, and on, and on. in fact, he imprisoned Jeremiah. They used to call Jeremiah the weeping prophet. And he put him in a cistern. And put him in the mud, leaving him to die. But a Kushite came to rescue him. But that's not where we're going. So Jeremiah was punished. His prophets that were telling him, all will be well, everything will be well, everything, all of them. In fact, at the second conquest, 
the, what Jeremiah actually did, the, the prophetic uh, demonstration was that he took a yoke of wood and he says, this is what's going to happen. And the prophet took the yoke and destroyed it. And Jeremiah said, for the yoke of wood, you will have a yoke of iron. So at the second conquest, Nebuchadnezzar actually destroyed. The first conquest, he didn't touch the temple. The second conquest, it destroyed the temple of Solomon. It raised it down to rubbles. And the people of God were in exile. And while they were still in exile, they had prophets saying to them, oh, in two years you'll be free. If you were in tribe, you remember, I mean, Jeremiah was saying to them, don't listen to those guys. This exile is going to last for 70 years. To really get this story, you need to read the book of Chronicles, Kings, Nehemiah, Ezra, and a guy. This thing is going to last for 70 years. And after 70 years, you know the story, Daniel went before God and said to God, God, you said 70 years. The time is up. And Nebuchadnezzar was overtaken and deposed by the Persians, Cyrus. Cyrus became king and Cyrus released the Jews to go back and build Jerusalem. And that's where we take this story from. In Ezra chapter 3 from verse 10. When they got to Jerusalem, the first thing they began to do was to build a temple. In verse 10, the Bible says that when the builders completed the foundation of the lost temple, the priests put on their robes and took their places to blow their trumpets. And the Levites, the descendants of Asaph, clashed their cymbals to praise the Lord, just as prescribed by King David. With praise and thanks, they sang this song to the Lord. He is so good. His faithful love for Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout, praising the Lord, because the foundation of the Lord's temple had been laid. But many of the older prophets, Levites, and other leaders who had seen the first temple wept aloud when they saw the new temple's foundation. The others, the younger ones, 69 and below, were shouting for joy. Verse 13, the joyful shouting and weeping mingled together in a loud voice that could be heard far in the distance and could not be distinguished. I pray in the name of Jesus that your house will not come from your house will not proceed both the sound of sorrow and the sound of joy. Uh, it is only the sound of joy that will proceed from your house undiluted in the mighty name of Jesus. So the, that was, that's, that's where we, we find ourselves. This nation, God is saying to them, go forward. Go forward. And the first thing they did as a nation, they've gone through a lot. So that's why I took the time to give you the context of, of the story. And the first thing they did was to build the temple. The first thing they did was to build the temple. Before they built their homes, before they built their schools, 
before they built the market, before they built the hospitals, if they had hospitals, the first thing they put priority on was to build the temple. To go forward, the first thing you must do is to build the temple. What does the temple mean for you and I? Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. For you to go forward, the first, your first priority must be the dwelling of God in you. Your first priority must be to build the temple of God in you, which is what? Your body. So everything that is striving to de- defile your body is actually coming after your destiny. I mean, you need to take that to the bank. If the enemy will, cannot succeed in destroying your temple, your, the enemy cannot succeed in destroying your destiny. If the enemy cannot succeed in defiling your temple, the enemy will not succeed in eroding your, de- your destiny. So the first thing you need to build is your temple, is your body. The temple of the Holy Spirit is your personal relationship with God, your devotion. When last did you read the Bible? When last did you just sit down and just fellowship? And temple building is priority if you and I must go forward. So in going forward, you have to build the temple. And in fact, one key thing about the temple is that the temple is sustained by the priesthood. The temple, everybody say the temple is sustained by the priesthood. The temple is sustained by the priesthood. And the priesthood is, is, is based on repetition, a repetitive task. That's all the priesthood is, is based on. You do this, you do that. You do this, you do that. You do this every time. That is the priesthood. So, for you to take care of your temple, there are things you have to do repetitively, whether you like it or not, whether you feel like it or not, but you have to be consistent at doing it. In fact, personally, I study the life of great men. It's one of my passions. Studying the life of great men. Great men, whether they are Christians or not, doesn't matter to me. You know, just what... Do these people know? How do they think? How do they decide? How do they make decisions? And there's a common denominator I've discovered about great men. Great men of God, great men of industry, even people that are not saved, that are great. There's one thing that is common to them. One. There may be more, but there's one thing that's common to all of them. All of them. Every one of them. Check. Every one of them. One thing that's common to them is routine. Every one of them, they, they call it different things. Some people call it their daily rituals. Some people call it their daily routine. Some people call it their quiet time, these spiritual ones. <laughs> Some people call it whatever they call it. There, is a, there are things they do every day that regardless of how they feel, they must do it every day. Everyone Everyone that is great, everyone. There's, I mean, I can begin to chronicle. Should I? <laughs> every one of them. Take Steve Jobs, for instance. There are things he does every day. In fact, he's so 
systemized that he wears the same turtleneck every day. Black turtleneck. When they ask him, why? Since he doesn't want to start worrying himself about, he doesn't want to waste cerebral power thinking about clothes. He'd rather decide once and for all, I'm going to wear black turtleneck for the rest of my life so I can use my brain for something else. Mark Zuckerberg, the Facebook guy, he does the same thing, just one T-shirt, just same T-shirt, same T-shirt. Every other person, they are taking a picture, posting it on Facebook with new, new dresses. The person that owns Facebook, controlling all the money, is wearing one T-shirt, only one T-shirt. Only one great T-shirt he wears every day of his life. Everyone. Smith-Buggles will tell you that no matter what happens, he must have his time of prayer. Martin Luther will tell you, I am too busy not to pray. I mean, Every one of these guys, they have, there's, there's this um, other guys that they, they drink this green, they have this green stuff, you know, healthy, healthy living. So they take um, um, different leaves and they blend it together. Every morning, he says he drinks it every morning, then he goes for his power walk when he meditates. Then before he sees anybody, every day, everyone that will be great must learn the power of the personal priesthood. Personally, you must learn how to attend to God, how to attend to your own altar every day. You know what is common to average people? You can guess by now. Average people only do things when they feel like. When they feel like, they do it. When they don't feel like, they don't do it. You will not be average. <laughs> Come on, say amen. amen. Some people, when they feel like they say amen, when they don't feel like they say amen. <laughs> Some people say amen to every prayer. So you will not be average amen. in Jesus' name. <laughs> the first thing they built was what? The temple. In verse 11, I mean, interesting, it says in verse 11 that. With praise and thanks, they sang this song. And what is the song? He is so good. His faithful love for Israel endures forever. Now, these guys, you know, I painted all the picture of the story of the background. They had just come from captivity. Jerusalem was in shambles, rubbles. They had just managed to lay a foundation. And they did not just say, for the Lord is good. If they had said that, that would have been fantastic. But they said, the Lord is so good. I mean, how do you say that God is so good when all around you is, is rubbles? How do you say that? How do you say God is so good when you're at the beginning of the fulfillment of a prophecy? You've not even seen the fullness of the prophecy. Many of us, we are at a place where, yes, God has given a word concerning your life, but what you are seeing is just found, foundation is messy. I'm, you know foundation is very messy. How do you say God is so good? How do you say it? You have to get to a place where even though what you are seeing 
does not measure up with what you desire. You are able to look beyond what you are saying and see the God that is good. Not just good, that is so good. Why? Because what he has promised, he will do. Praise the name of the Lord. Most people would say he's so good only when the prophecy has been fulfilled. Even in their personal life, most people only want you because they need you. Most people want you because they need you. I'm not saying everybody, but most people, you think people, everybody around you just wants you because they, they desire you. No. So most people just want you because they need you. If they don't need you, the day they don't need you, they will kick you out. I'm telling you from experience. <laughs> most people are just tagging along because they need you, not because they want you. But you see, the beauty about God is that God doesn't need us, yet God wants us. And that is huge. He doesn't need us. He says, if I were hungry, the cattle upon the thousand hills are mine. I will, I will go and make myself some barbecue. He says, if you, if you will not praise me, he says, the stones will raise up their voices and will praise me. In other words, you can't hold God to ransom for anything. God doesn't need us. Yet he wants us. Yes. It's, it, that's why the psalmist says, what is man that you are mindful of him? I don't understand it. I, don't, I, I can't get it. And the truth is that <laughs> most of people won't seek God until they need him. Most people won't seek God until they need him. God knows that most of us will not seek him until we need him. So you know what he does? It puts a need in our lives. So we need him, then we seek him, only to discover that we want him. So God knows that most of us will not seek him until we need him. So he introduces a need so that we begin to need him, then we begin to seek him then we discover that we begin to want him. And that's the reasons for, for, for the wilderness experience. That's why many people go through the wilderness experience. I mean, you, you are going through the wilderness experience. That's the, that is the basis of a wilderness experience. That's why some people's wilderness experience is 10 days. You know, some people's wilderness is just 10 days. Some people get it immediately. Some people's wilderness experience is 10 months. Some people, they are slow, they, but they get it eventually. Some people's wilderness experience is 10 years. But guess what? God says, I am the ancient of days. I don't grow old. Israel, if you want to enter this promised land in 40 days, it's up to you. If you say it's 40 years, I full ground. I'm here. And, you know, and God introduces us so that we can really long for him, in Deuteronomy 8.3, that in the funeral this morning, he says that he suffered you to hunger. He allowed you to go through the wilderness so that you will learn that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So, God doesn't need us, but he wants us. The song that says, 
even though it be a cross. That saved me, still all my song shall be. Nearer, my God, to thee. Nearer to thee. You know, the Yoruba version says, Boti ne shekponju, lo mumiwa, si be orimije, o sumolor, o you know, that Yoruba version brings out the cross. You know, the English version says, even though it be a cross, that really doesn't communicate well. You know, the Yoruba version says, even though it is tribulation that has brought me, still my song shall be nearer my God to thee. Many of us will not come to God if we didn't have problems. We won't come to God if we didn't have problems. But God says it's fine. It's okay to come to God with problems. God says, come, I will solve the problem. But you see, the beauty about God is that by the time God solves the problem, we will discover that not only are we healed, we've now found him. If you have a financial challenge, you come to God, God solves the financial challenge, the best discovery is not that you have more money, it's because you now have more of God. So we we move from needing him to Wanting him. So we begin to seek him because we need him only for us to discover that not only is he all that we need, is all that we want. Is all that we want. So someone comes to God looking for the fruit of the womb. Guess what? God says, come. By the time you have your triplet, you will love God more. Just like Peter, he's toiled all day. He's not caught any fish. Jesus says, okay, I will give you a financial breakthrough. Throw your nets here. He threw his nets there. He caught, the Bible says he left his fish and followed Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. He left the fish and followed Jesus. He says, and that, doesn't that just make sense? If you stay with the fish, the fish will finish. Since this guy knows how to bring fish, let me go follow him <laughs> so that more fish can be. But unfortunately, many of us, we don't get it on time. We don't surrender to God on time. Some people, like I said, it's 10 days. They get it. Some people, it's 10 weeks. They get it. Some people, it's 10 months. They get it. Some people, it's Fortunately, it's 10 years before they get it. The illustration I gave was, you know, while growing up, I know it must have happened to you, or some of us are parents, you may have your children in that phase of life right now, you know, where we say to our parents to back off when it's time to have our bath. We say to mommy, go. We hold on to our towel. I will say to our parents that the big boy is about to have his bath. Mommy, can you leave the room? Has that happened to anybody? <laughs> so, I was in this phase of life. It was my grandmother that used to, you know, give us a bath back then in that phase of our, my life. And, and, and I had to say to Mama, back off. The big boy wants to have a shower. And she just had a good laugh. And she left me. And I was there, you know, having 
starting with the head. Because I was not skilled at angling the soap, soap got into one of my eyes. So I had soap in my eye. And something in me says, call my man now. I said, no, I can still see with one eye. Is it not soap? I can sort this out. I'm good. So I tried to wipe away the soap. And before you knew it, two eyes had soap. I couldn't see anything. And something in me says, what? Call mama now. I said, ah, no. Big boy. Let me just get the water <laughs> so that I can rinse off this thing. And the soap fell from my hand. I said, okay, you just I'm getting water, I pick up the soap. And I stepped on the soap. I think I was here, between here and the ground. I shouted, Mama! <laughs> and Mama ran into the room, you know, rescued me. Now, and she was like, Pele, Pele, I said, yeah, come here. All sorts of things. And I said, thank you. I'm still alive. <laughs> Don't laugh at me now. You had your own stories. Now, my point is this. When the soap entered one eye, should I not have shouted? But why didn't I shout? Big boy. <laughs> when he entered the second eye, is it not common sense to shout? Why didn't I shout? Big boy. But when I was like this, and I was looking at the floor, nobody taught me to shout. Many times, we allow things to go so bad before we cry to God for help. But God says, come now so that you can move forward. Praise the name of the Lord. The next thing that the spiritual leaders did, particularly Ezra, because it was like the leading priest at the time, was to teach the people the word of God. Ezra taught the people the word. Why? It, 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 because he, he needed to show them who they were. These are people that were 69-year-old people that didn't even know God. They didn't, even knew, they didn't even know the nation of Israel. They didn't know anything about, about God. He needed to teach them so that they can see the word and see themselves. The world... And circumstances and situations tries to flog our identity out of us. As children of God, there are things that try to tell you you are who you are not. There are things that try to make you succumb and tell you this is who you are. You are. Well, is that not who you are? Since you're a dog. No, 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 you're not a dog. You're a lion. Praise the Lord. And, you know, like the movie of Kunta Kinte, when he was being flogged, what is your name? Your name is Toby. He says, no, my name is Kunta, Kunta Kinte. And you know that movie? Let's see the clip. 
times. Put some oil on it. It's a bit dry. Take him up. Say your name. Let me hear you say it. What's your name? Kunta. Kunta Kinte. When the master gives you something, you take it. He gave you a name. It's a nice name. It's Toby. And it's going to be yours till the day you die. Now, I know you understand me, and I want to hear it. Again! <laughs> I want to hear you say your name. Your name is Toby. What's your name? Gunther. Lord God, help that boy. They're gonna whip him dead. What's your name? Say it! Toby! Who are you? Say your name. What's your name? Toby. Hi. Say it again. Say it louder so they all can hear you. What's your name? Toby. Toby. Aye. That's a good nigger. Cut him down. <laughs> I know that didn't end as heroic as some of us would want it to. But that's the reality that a lot of us face. Of course, um, the black Americans did face that. How many of us would have said he should never have given in? Shall I keep saying Kutakinte, even if he dies? Good. Good. I'm like that too. 
How many of us will say, he should have said, you want Toby? Is he the one with a Y or the one with an I? <laughs> Is it the double B? I can, I can be anything you want me to be. Either way, he cracked. Now, imagine such a person now coming back. How does he get his identity back? And that is what Ezra had to deal with. These people have been orphaned, enslaved for 70 years. They've been changed into an image that they are not. How do I make them see themselves as God wants them to be? And, and the answer is the word. James 1.12, the word of God is like a mirror. When you look into the word of God, you see the Lord. And you see yourself as God sees you. So you cannot know yourself until you see him. You cannot know yourself until you see, see God. So, you, they, they, they change the identity. Some people live, become 70, 80, 90, die, and they don't know themselves. They don't know who they are. But that will not be your portion in Jesus' name. Some live consistently, and they, they, they live with, with an orphan, Mentality. Now, like, like we said, these people have been orphaned for how long? 70 years. So, they, they, they live with an orphan mentality. And how do you know you, you, you are struggling with an orphan mentality or an orphan mentality is, is trying to attach itself to you? I'll go through a few things, a list of a few things. If you respond in any of these ways, you need to deal with an orphan mentality. Number one, an orphan mentality says... I'm not going to have enough. This thing is not going to be enough. So, they hoard. Even in abundance, an orphan, someone that has an orphan mentality, hoards. Have you been married to somebody that even hides toothpaste? You have a box in, this, in the pantry of toothpaste. You have about, a box that contains about 20 tubes. But your spouse is still hiding. That's orphan mentality. Don't be upset. Just bring him. I know it's not a she. Or her for deliverance. <laughs> or rather, to hear this word, they need to be delivered. Jealous consistently of what other people have. An orphan is always jealous about, of what other people have. They, all, they have it good. They have it better. Things are always easier for, the, for them. You know, that's an orphan mentality. An orphan is always fighting for his or her right. If you meet someone that is always fighting for, even if there's nothing to, to fight for, they always, you cannot chance me. Oh, this is my right. That's an orphan mentality. Orphan mentality. An orphan mentality. They are always fearful of God's wrath. If, an, if somebody that has an orphan mentality lives a holy life, they live a holy life because they are afraid that God is going to break their head if they sin. Someone that has a son mentality, the mentality of a son 
lives a holy life because he loves his father. And because he knows his father loves him. And he doesn't want to offend his father. He lives a holy life. Someone that has an orphan mentality lives a holy life because he's afraid. That, oh, this God will just whack my head and I'm dead. So, what does he do? He doesn't. He stays holy. So, what happens? The danger is this. Because he's human, the orphan, someone with orphan mentality, eventually sins and is expecting a big hammer. Then what happens? No armor. Then they're like, wait a minute. Ah, so, there's no armor. Then, emboldens them, they sin again. And they sin again. The reason why some people are slaves to sin today is because they've always had an orphan mentality with God. And it appeared that God did not work them like they thought he would. So they continued in sin. You need to be free from it today. In the mighty name of Jesus. Orphan mentality... <laughs> They always feel like they are on the outside looking in. Always feel like they are on the outside looking in. Oh, those are the privileged few. Even in relationship with God, oh, they always feel that, oh, they need a prophet that will help them pray. If a prophet does not pray, God cannot hear them. Often, mentality. When Jesus died so that you can come before God, Often mentality. They can't come to the Father. They need an intercessor. They need a mediator. Someone to, oh, let me talk to the Father for me. Let me put chip in a word. Let me, no. Jesus already died so that you can come to the Father. Okay, God says so. God says ABC about you. Wait, let me check. Someone says, says to me before. How can you say you want to check? I said. God said. Eh? But let me check. And he felt very offended. So I should take your word that God has spoken when I can go and find out for myself. <laughs> Sorry. I will check. Praise the name of the Lord. Why? Because God sent Jesus and Jesus died for me and the veil has been cut. So the orphan mentality is performance oriented must do and I'll do. Cannot take criticism. The son can be corrected. The orphan cannot take criticism. Orphan mentality. The orphan feels, always feels that God is unfair. Feels that God is unfair. God has dealt him or her with an unfair blow. Orphan mentality. These guys, they said, for the Lord is so good. So good. Someone that has an orphan mentality finds it difficult to receive love and to give love. And sometimes you're married to someone, it's difficult. They find it difficult to receive love and to give love. 
Why? Because they are struggling with an orphan mentality. And Ezra needed to walk through that. He needed to take the people through that and teach them the word of God and show them who they are in God. Many times we don't know what we are worth. In fact, we feel worthless. But when you are in doubt of what you are worth, just look at the cross of Calvary and see Jesus. That's what you are worth. You are worth Jesus going to the cross and dying and rising again on the third day. That's what you are worth. That's what you are worth. Some say, oh, you know, you know what the, how the orphan interprets that? The orphan says, Jesus died for everybody. That's how the orphan interprets that. The son says, Jesus died for, for me. How do you interpret that? So I can say, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great I praised whose name is love. Whoever lives and pleads my name is graven on his head. My name is written on his heart. I know that why. Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the sin within, of what I look and see him there, who made an end of all my sin. My sinful soul is counted free For God and justice is satisfied To look on Him and pardon me To look on Him and pardon me Behold Him My perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the King of glory. So when we look at Jesus, we see our worth. 
Many times we have been tempted to think that when we perform better and we are successful, our worth increases. And we are tempted to think that when we fail and we don't perform up to par, that our worth decreases. But the truth is that your success does not increase your worth. And your failure does not decrease it. Your worth in God is the priceless blood of Jesus. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. Nothing you can do to make that sacrifice better. There's nothing. It's perfect. Totally perfect. So the elders in verse 12... They were weeping. They wept aloud. And, and I said to myself, why are they crying? Why are they weeping? Because the Bible doesn't tell us explicitly why they are weeping. We can infer, but it doesn't tell us explicitly. So I can say, why are they crying? Are they crying because of happiness? Are they crying because they are excited? Is it, like, is it tears of joy? Is, is it that like the elders are crying for tears of joy? Or are they crying because they are repenting of their sins that this is what we have caused? Or are they crying because of regret? I think that they cried because of regret. They cried because they saw the temple in, this, in the beauty, the temple of Solomon in, in its beauty. And they, has, they have seen the foundation and, and they wept. They wept because they knew what went into the temple of Solomon. They knew the wealth. David's life savings. Solomon's wealth. The, the resources that came from north, south, east, west, from Queen of Sheba, from everywhere to build that temple. And they saw the handouts they were given by, by neighboring kings to lay the foundation. And they wept. But you see, you may look at your life and look at yesterday and weep. Or like these elders, God is saying to you, let yesterday go. Your tomorrow will be greater than yesterday. Let go of yesterday. As tough as it may be, you have to let go of yesterday if you want to move forward. You cannot go forward if you hold back. If you keep holding on the losses you've made yesterday, the pain of yesterday, you can't Go forward. You cannot start a new business if you are worried, crying because you, you, you've got the business you started went down. You cannot take a step forward in, in your marriage because the last relationship you were in, you were jilted. You cannot trust any man again. You cannot. God says you have to let the past go if you want to go forward. That's just how it is. So why is it so difficult? To let go of the past. Past regrets. Why is it so difficult? Why is it so difficult to let go of past pain and past hurt? Why is it so difficult? Why is it so difficult? God is saying, you need to let it go. You know how they catch monkeys in, in Brazil? They say that they put a knot in the, in, in, in the, in the jar. And the, the monkey goes and puts his hand in the, in the jar. The hand can go in straight, but the hand cannot come out of the jar clenched with the knot in it. So the monkey puts his hand and grabs the knot 
and the hunter or whoever wants to catch the monkey comes out and the monkey, instead of leaving the knot and climbing and running, wants to go with the knot. So the monkey keeps struggling to get his hands free until they throw a net over it and they capture it. Why? Because the monkey will not let go of the nuts. And many of us, that's at the past. You are in your marriage and you are still thinking, oh, if only I have married Joe. Oh, Joe. Oh, Joe. Now I'm married to this, um, I don't mention anybody's name, in, in case. Let go of Joe. Let it go. You're not married. Amen. Let it go. <laughs> Learn the lessons from the past, but let go of the past. Deal with the pain, but let it go. Take responsibility, but let it go. In fact, one of the two, the two things that ruins relationships, people don't deal with the pain of the past. If you don't deal with the pain of the past, you transfer it. If you deal with the pain, you transform it into fuel. But if you don't deal with it, you transfer it. So you're in a new relationship and you are transferring the pain. You're in a new business dealing, but you are transferring the pain to your new, I mean, colleagues. Or you don't take responsibility for your actions. Deal with the pain. Take your responsibilities. Why? Because until you let go of the past, you cannot take hold of the future. Paul puts it very well in Philippians 3, 13. He says, for this thing I do, I focus on one thing. And he listed two things. So why would he do that? I said, Paul, why would you do that? He said, I focus on one thing, and you listed two things. I focus on one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Those are two things. People say you do only one thing. But you know what that means? It says I do only one thing, forgetting the past and taking hold of the future. It means they are the same. You cannot take hold of the future if you don't forget the past. That's what he's saying. You cannot take hold of the future if you don't let the past go. I know it's painful, but you have to let it go. If you don't let it go, you cannot take hold of the future. And one of the toughest past to let go of is past glory. In, as in the case of, of the Jews, past glories, things have been good, things have been great, things have been fantastic. The glory was fantastic. But the bubble has burst. But you are holding on. And God is saying to you, let it go. And God is not saying let it go so that you can be in limbo. God is not saying let it go so that you can just be hanging. I said to really understand this story, you need to read 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, 2 Kings, Nehemiah, Ezra, some Isaiah, some Micah, and a guy. At this time also was not only Daniel, was not only Nehemiah, was not only Joshua, the high priest, was not only Zerubbabel, the governor, 
was also a guy. And Agai stood and God spoke through Agai. In Agai chapter 2 verse 6, Agai saw the, the elders weeping. And God saw the elders weeping. They were crying over the foundations because of the glory of the former house. And God says from Agai 6, he says, For this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. He says, In just a little while. Everyone say just a little while. In just a little while, I will again shake the heavens and the earth. You may think, oh, when will this happen? God is saying, in just a little while. The oceans and the dry land, I will shake all the nations and the treasures of all the nations will be brought to this temple. This temple. This same temple that you're looking at, the ruins foundations, this temple, it says, I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. It says, in case you are in doubt, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. I know you are worried about oh, how well the Solomon was when he built it, all the resources that went to it. God is saying that the silver is still mine and the gold is still mine. Says the Lord of heaven's armies. He says the future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glories. Says the Lord of heaven's armies. He says in this place I will bring peace. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. You see, when God speaks and says I have spoken, you know what that means? Take it to the bank and show them my signature. I don't know what you have lost. I don't know what you are looking back at and you are like, can this thing ever be? This is what God is saying to you. The glory of the latter house shall surpass the former. The greatness ahead of you is far beyond what you have seen. I know you've seen great things. I know you've seen the temple of Solomon. But God is saying, if you stick around long enough, if you stay with me, the glory of this house, this is your life, this is your temple, this is your life, this very one. I know some of you are thinking maybe it will happen in your children's life. He's saying, in this present life. This is your life. The glory shall surpass the past. Says the Lord of heaven's armies. Let's bow down our hearts as we bow down our heads. I want you to think about what you have heard. And I want you to receive this word as a son, not as an orphan. I want you to receive it it is you I'm talking to. You, you, you I'm talking to. We are saying, Pastor, but I am outside. I have been looking in. I have never accepted Jesus. Or oh, I used to be born again. But I'm backsliding, Pastor. How do I come back? I need to come back. I want to pray with you, only you. 
I don't need you to come forward. Don't come forward. Wherever you are seated. There's a pastor. I, in fact, I'm an orphan, as it, as it were. I want to be a son back. Pray with me wherever you are seated. That is me, pastor. Put up your hand now over your head. You don't need to come forward wherever you are seated. Put it up now, now, now. God bless you. Now put up your hand. Put it up well, 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 well. Over your head. God bless you. God bless you. Keep it up. Keep it up. God bless you. Over there, my brother. God bless you, sir. God bless you over here, my brother. God bless you, my sister. Over there. God bless you, my brother. I need to come to God. God bless you. God bless you over there. Keep the hands up. Keep the hands up. God bless you. That is me. That is me. I have never accepted Christ. I need to come to God. Oh, I used to be saved. But I, I, I'm gone back. That is me. God bless you. Once you have the card, you can keep down your hand. Keep down your hand. I want to pray with you in a, in a bit. But you are still there. You are saying, oh, pastor, I need to join them. Can I join them? Yes, you can. Put up your hand now over your head. God bless you right there, my brother. God bless you, my brother. God bless you, my sister. God bless you, my brother. God bless you, my sister. God bless you, my sister over there. God bless you. That is me. That is me. Keep the hands up. God bless you. That is me. That is me. God bless you. That is me. That is me. God bless you. God bless you over here. Right in front. God bless you, sir. God bless you at the back over there. God bless you. That is me. That is me. Keep the hands up. I need to come to Jesus today. Oh, God of heaven, have mercy. Once you have the card, you can put down your hand. That's okay. That's all I require for now. But if you say, Pastor, can I join these people? Yes, you can. God bless you right there. Keep that. Put your hands up until you get a card. God bless you. Until you get a card. Keep it up until you get a card. Once you have the card, you can put it down. Once you put it down, cry to God. Have mercy upon me. Anybody else? Jesus, I'm opening the gates of my heart to you. Come and have your way. Come and take your place. Lord Jesus. Father, we pray for everyone that is surrendering to you today. We ask that you cleanse totally the grace to break out of the orphan mentality and become a proper son. Give unto them. Cleanse them of all their sins and let your name be glorified. Honor and glory we give unto you. Lord, we pray everybody okay I want everybody all of us to, to pray I want us to just say to God Father I shed everything that is making me think like an orphan I walk into the fullness of your sonship in the name of Jesus. Take, take a moment and just talk to God. Take a moment and just talk to God. Bala kaza bala tiyande kiyata bahasa hata nunta yeze hiyende kiyata haina sahata la kayeze hiyende robozo hote te hita bukoza handiate bukoza Oh, Father, we thank you. We give you praise and glory, Lord. Oh, we give you praise and glory. Lord, that everyone that is struggling with an orphan mentality here be totally delivered in the name of Jesus. The grace to walk into the fullness of our sonship in you give unto us. Honor and glory we give unto you. In Jesus' mighty name, we are prayed. Amen.